0: We, we, we had a wild boar issue here, like in the center of Frigga at one point. Uh, now they've kind of died out, but at one point there were so many of them that, you know, our government hi- had to hire some hunters to shoot off more wild boars than usual because Really, they just came down to the city center from the surrounding forests, even in in the summer nights. So it was like we had warning signs saying that if you're taking the last bus to the suburbs, then you should better kind of be careful and watch out of things.
1: Did people in the city hunt them? Like, can you you can eat boar, right? Yeah,
0: we do. My my wife's dad is is uh, is a hunter, so that's we're stuck we're stucked up with me.
1: But is it legal to hunt in the city?
0: It was there for the time, but, you know, with a bunch of rules and stuff.
1: Not, so not now. Now they just kill them.
0: No, right right now they died off because we had, after that, the, the overpopulation caused an influx of their, what, African boar plague? Something, something, Af- African swine plague. And so a lot of them, they just died out from that. It kind of struck our our kind of pork industry as well a bit, especially in the countryside.
2: Whoa, really? Wow. Whoa.
0: It was a sad. It was a sad and miserable study, but hey, you know that's <laughs> that's what I do.
2: Wait, wait, when was this recently?
0: Yeah, it was like 2016 or so.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> right. Wait, so like you you would regularly see just wild boar wandering around Riga?
0: Yeah, you know, because uh, we have we have a a kind of a racing track next to where I live, because I live uh, in kind of outskirts of Frigga, and and I live right next to a hospital, and you know, I, I saw when I was driving home with my trolley bus, there was an ambulance car who had just smashed into a wild boar. And the wild boar was dead, but the car was pretty much, well, useless too, because unlike, unlike Disney would like to tell you, wild boars are really huge and dangerous
2: animals. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> Wait, have
1: you ever Have you ever caught your Have you ever caught your profile reflection
2: in the mirror? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Like a yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, yo, this shit feels like I won't ever make it. Oh. This
1: This is She's in Russia, I'm Smith, and I'm in Brooklyn. And I'm Lily, and I am in St. Petersburg. And what are we talking about today? Today we're kicking off our former Soviet Republic series with an episode about Latvia a small country in northeastern Europe. It's one of the Baltics.
2: It's about the size of West Virginia, as we learned. Yeah. And and who did we talk
1: to about Latvia? We had the honor of speaking to Kristaps Andresans, who is the host of another podcast called The Eastern Border. And he's, he's from Latvia.
2: And yeah, so we talked to Kristaps about a lot of different stuff. We talked about early 20th Latvian history and about independence, and we talked about how Russian language is used in Latvia and what the attitudes toward ethnic Russians are in Latvia today, and then we also talked a little bit about Latvian nature. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself?
0: I'm Kristaps Sons, a journalist and a host of the Eastern Border podcast. And it's a show where I try to explain in English how it was like to live in the Soviet Union by collecting both historical sources and people's stories. And people's stories are sometimes very funny and sometimes they're quite depressing. You know, that's, that's the real life here. And I'm from Riga, Latvia.
2: All right. So first, I just wanted you to kind of talk about what the National Awakening was.
0: Well, we have to go back then to the part when we were in Russian Empire and we were in the province of Livonia. And it kind of goes back to the 19th century again, but like even the thoughts about our own our own country independence really really gathered gathered some um, some fuel uh, when during the First World War when the Latvian riflemen battalions were formed, which were like Latvian led Latvian kind of fighting units who fought for the Russian Empire. Here, our our situation was was dualistic. We were under the Russian Empire, but this region always had a a lot of autonomy, so we were ruled by essentially German nobles for a huge time. You know, central authorities are all Russian imperial ones, but all the local nobles are German.
1: Pre-20th century.
0: That's early 20th century, yeah. And then, you know, the, the nice little thing known as the October Revolution happened. Well, at first it was February Revolution, and then there was the October Revolution, then some civil war happened, then civil war was just, uh... All sorts of craziness with, with, like, three different Latvias running about. There was the one which was made by Peter Stuchka in Moscow, who, uh, which was the the Soviet one. Then there was our own kind of nationalistic one, then there was the pro-German one created by the supporters of Berman Tavalov. It was just crazy. It was a huge mess, for which I would have to go into, like... Large detail, but it all ended in 1922 when kind of we signed our peace treaty with the Soviet Union and border deals and everything and wrote our own constitution. But the first first awakening really happened as World War One kind of ended up because uh, a lot of these people who went into politics in, in those years, they were all veterans, veterans of, of the Great War, and then veterans of the Soviets, of the Great Civil War, which got us involved too, and the, the Estonians and Lithuanians and Poles, and then Lithuanians and Poles were fighting each other. It was all completely crazy back in back in the early 20s. It was a strange period where, at that point, we used... Uh, Kind of these late 19th century uh, ideas of what a nation-state is and what, what does it even mean to be a Latvian because I feel like people back then they wanted to find some, some purpose and some idea around which to concentrate and uh, it was a very kind of optimistic period so to speak. After your whole generation of, of people have been just off to war and they've been fighting all over for various sides and often like shooting each other and often had shot each other a lot. Then it all kind of came down to sticking to these ro- roman- very romanticized national ideas, trying to build something around that. So our first constitution kind of represented that. It was based on Weimar Republic one, and we, for for example, didn't have uh, didn't have any percentage barriers in our first constitution.
2: What's a percentage barrier?
0: That's when you have to like, if you're a party that wants to get into the parliament, in these days you have to get at least 5% of the vote in Latvia to get representation in parliament. Back then there was no such percentage barrier, so you know, we had like 28 parties in, in our parliament, of which most had like one or two elected officials. So it was a huge, it was a huge, uh, huge enthusiastic mess with a lot of people just, you know, drowning, drowning their issues in whatever substances they could get their hands off and, you know, playing up this late 19th century romantic Latvian folklore and literature and everything. And, you know, building up their country based on that because they felt like they needed to get something out, just, you know, some sort of outflux that, you know. All my friends died for something, so let's build this up as nice and cool and romantic as we can. Mm. That's a position that I, I think, the first period was kind of yeah, interesting about with the fact that we just like uh, every other country around us, like we had Karl Sullmann uh, in Latvia and, and a lot of these kind of early democratic leaders in in the 30s, in the 20s, everyone was very, very democratic and and very chaotic. But later on, Karl Sullmann, which is like our George Washington. At one point, he decided that, you know, our parliament's a bit, bit too much of a mess. And then he had a coup and he was our kind of authoritarian leader for a while. Yeah, up until World War Two. Hmm.
2: And so it, during this like span of time, was it really like everybody in Latvia was involved in politics and in this like idea of the national awakening and like forming an, a nation and had a lot of patriotism or was it a specific class of people that were involved? See
0: this. This is kind of the um, the weirdest part, because at least at least our bigger cities, and uh, a lot of my Latvian listeners probably will yell at me, but R- Riga has never been a kind of purely Latvian city, because uh, up to 1939, for example, about 20 to 30 percent of uh, people living in Riga were Germans. Then, of course, a lot of russians uh a ton of jews everyone we we've always been like at least Riga has always been a very multi multicultural city kind of there were, there were certainly a lot of people in the government playing up this latvianness, but that that mostly happened later on uh, in in the late thirties in the twenties, everyone was just kind of amazed that we have this brand new country, and you know let's let's see what we can do with it mm. well, first of all, we had this we we had the agricultural reform. You know, so similar as in Russia, because when the old farms, large, large estates owned by the nobility were kind of split up and, and uh, spread around people. So it's kind of weird. I don't know, patriotism, sure, but it was a different patriotism than what you could see, for example, in, in like 1990s. A different kind of one, I, I'd say. This was more, more or less, a romanticized version. For example, we had this guy Ernest Brastinch, who in 1922 decided, you know, try to restore the old pagan religion. But the problem is we don't know much about the old pagan religion, so he just smashed up things on paper what he thought were right was <laughs> right without much historical basis. But the problem is, yeah, uh, then you know, a lot of people now think it was the actual real thing, while we don't know don't know much about it. But then again, I don't know, And then at that period in Latvia, we were all kind of weirdo anarchist types because being a revolutionary was a proud tradition in these lands.
1: The timeline of the national awakenings. There's like three distinct ones, right?
0: Yeah, one's, one is in the 19th century. Then there's like in the 20s when we got our own country. And then there was in 1990s after when, when the Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah.
1: Right, so, and you mentioned that like that was like a different... The last one, the 1990s, was a different kind of experience. Can you explain why or like what particularly is different?
0: That was different because um, over here in Latvia, uh, in the Soviet era, a lot of people just remembered kind of mostly Stalinist era stuff and, and things like that because we have like song and dance festivals and national holidays and stuff like that. And a lot of uh, kind of our national culture was was kind of toned down and suppressed during during uh, the Soviet era because of I don't know because of some central policy of you know this internationalism or, or whatever. For example, uh, Latvian Latvians in here in, they had to study uh, a year longer in the schools than the Russians. Latvian schools had an extra year in curriculum because they also had to learn all this all, all the Russian language stuff and everything. So Russian youths had a kind of better chance of going to work market back then or something. And there was kind of this uh, the disillusionment, so to speak, this idea that a lot of the things that we wanted to do or, or sing or, or kind of like speak about, they, they were kind of prohibited even. For example, you know, we, we re, at least in my family, my ancestors remembered the first Latvian independence kind of quite fondly. That Independence Day that we have here now, which we celebrate also now, is in the 18th of November. But the thing is, you couldn't celebrate that in Soviet Terra, obviously. But, uh, as they lived in a small town, my grandmother's younger brother uh, had a names day on the 18th of November. His name was Alexander. That names day turned into kind of the biggest celebration of that small town, <laughs> and, and they always, and the, but they always had to like put extra plates on the table and you know prepare extra salad and extra foods. Because they knew that every year, every year, someone from the authorities would come over and ask, Hey, what are you celebrating here? Are you celebrating this bourgeoisie things? And everyone would be like, no, 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 check check out his passport. It's cool. We're celebrating his <laughs> names day. Please, please, we have rossals here. And, and Shubah um, like, so they would come, come down and eat and just leave and, you know, write in their paper, we check, they're just celebrating this. Because the party people, the authorities who are like sent there, well, you know, they're the locals too. They have to do it because of formality, so that they can write the papers. After at least that that happened after a while. During Stalinist era was different. During Stalinist era, you you know, you had to be even more careful. But yeah, that that kind of happened, and again, some sort of romanticization uh, happened in a way. But it was it was mostly about the fact that we were again losing kind of this. Uh, national identity, so to speak, because one of the, one of the things that really started everything was when Gorbachev allowed to create these um, kind of ecological clubs, you know, uh, the kind of green societies, because in here in Baltics, uh, the Bay of Botnia, it was heavily polluted back then, I don't know its current situation. So when that happened, then people understood that, hey, well, we could do our own independence ideas and we could hide them in these little movements. Mm. So we started doing that. And yeah, all, all through this, all through the era, and that is an issue, which is a serious issue, which my government in Latvia has done a lot of terrible things themselves. See, the thing is, uh, in Soviet era, a ton of Soviet citizens from Russia, from Ukraine, from Belarus, from everywhere, they were kind of, you know, moved here the population was artificially inflated so to speak one of the biggest protest actions which kind of characterizes all the feel was they wanted to create a metro in Riga but people kind of went out and protested against it because at that time in Latvia it was truly like 50% latvians and 50 percent everyone else but the government openly stated that yeah we're going to build this metro and then we're going to bring in more more kind of workers from you know from siberia whatever from other parts of the country and at that point latvians understood that if we don't go out and don't don't become active we will become a a minority in our own country we feel this connection with here because that That's where we've lived since the Germans first came here and, and, you know, did this whole crusading thing on us, which was a fun story all, all and so on its own. That whole influx of, of uh, people from other parts of the Soviet Union and Latvia, that still causes a lot of tensions up until today.
1: Yeah, I have a question based on what you just said about, like, the sort of tensions that exist from that artificial population moving time during the Soviet era and then up until today in terms of, like, non-Latvian populations. I was wondering or we were wondering specifically about attitudes towards ethnic Russians in particular but actually maybe we could just speak more generally could you just describe like the current situation? With that? See,
0: the problem, it's not just non Latvians. Uh, see, uh, in Latvia, a lot of these people use the term uh, basically Russian speaking population. That's how we kind of uh, yeah. orient them around because that also involves a lot of Ukrainians, Belarusians, all, all these guys. See, and that's where my government, I think, made a mistake because uh, in the 90s, we, we had a referendum here about leaving the Soviet Union. And about our independence. And if you think about it, that at that point Latvians were only like 50% of the whole country, but 85% of uh, people who voted voted for leaving the Soviet Union. So obviously, a lot of a lot of, of these Russian-speaking population wanted outside of the Soviet Union. Unlike in Lithuania, where they gave citizenship to everyone living there at the moment, my government decided to give citizenship only to Those people who were citizens from the 1918 to 1940 and their kind of relatives. But which led to our weird situation that we have a lot of these uh, non-citizens. In the early 90s, that's what our government did and... uh, and then the, the rules of becoming a citizen were that you had to learn Latvian language, you had to learn Latvian uh, history and stuff. But at the same time, they didn't really provide any free means to do so.
2: And what's the current breakdown? Like, there's a fair percentage of the population, right, that's not citizens?
0: Not as much, actually. They've been falling down steadily. Because uh, if you're this non-citizen, you can just go to Russia without a visa. You have, you have your own huge amount of benefits. We have a lot of Russian citizens living in Latvia now as well because there are companies now in Latvia who because in Russia you can have a, you can get a pension 10 years earlier than in Latvia so you can get a Russian citizenship and get your pension from Russia for all of your like Soviet at work like earlier. Mm. So, a lot of, so there are people who do that. Uh, even though our pensions larger that's 10 years earlier so people just mix it up and do crazy jurisdictional loopholes but the situation now is that at least in the younger generation everyone who's like under 30 well we're all pretty friendly and stuff but uh, there are especially older populations that I'm talking about both ethnic latvians and these russian speaking people they live in some sort of their own their own press bubbles so to speak uh, the conflict basically is often artificially created before the elections so that we have our, our nationalistic party and then we have our, like, I don't know how to even put that. We have this Harmony Center, which positions themselves as pro-minority party. But, yeah, then an investigative journalist found out that they actually have a nice deal between themselves. <laughs> oh, my God. So there are some tensions there, but they're becoming lower and lower each month, basically. Because, you know, we're getting along quite well, and and sometimes, you know, Due to my podcast, I have, some, I have some visitors and stuff, and I have relatives living in Russia. And it, it feels kind of weird to explain to those people who come here from Russia, whom I take around town, is that, that you're, you're not all fascists. You're, you're not going to punch us for speaking Russian. And I'm like, no, no, we're not. We're totally okay. It's fine.
2: So was there was an era at one point where where people like saw speaking Russian as some sort of political statement?
0: Yeah, and you know there are, there are a lot of people who do that now, but it's again uh, there are people who live in their own press kind of media bubbles. You know, if you read if you read only uh, only the ultra nationalist Latvian press that makes it look like all Russians wanted to do is restore Soviet Union and exile all to Siberia, then there's press from the other side. Which is like, NATO forces are all evil and, you know, all Latvians are fascists. Come, Yeah, that too. And there are people who live in these media bubbles, but like I said, as time moves on, we've all just learned that, you know, you have to look look to the future, be friendly to each other and live together, you know, form some common identity here. You know, be friendly. Get get on with the times. Look at the history and how it was, accept it and, you know... Move on with your lives, build a better country for everyone who lives here. That's the general thought here, and I'm really, really happy that it's going that way. In Latvia, for many, many years, we had uh, two systems of education, because after after the Soviet Union collapsed, we had state-funded schools in Russian and state-funded schools in Latvian. And we are, over time, actively moving so that our state-funded schools would only be in Latvian. You know, because that's her official language here. Yeah, it caused a lot of protests in 2006, but right now it's like this. Uh, You get to study up until 6th grade in your own... language whichever you choose then it's kind of mixed and then it's all in Latvian if you study in this Russian thing now they're shifting it all in a way to Latvian and it caused massive riots in 2006 when they shifted this around so now in the second wave of reforms which they're doing now there were protesters but all those protesters were basically uh old people who haven't learned Latvian yet or something. You can have a private school that teaches another other languages. just that our our government decided that we need to ensure that everyone speaks Latvian after they finish high school so that we could get rid of all this non-citizenship situation. Because, you know, it's Latvia. Everyone who is a citizen should speak Latvian here. That's the national policy.
1: And then you also can choose to take a foreign language. Like, do people, like, English or something...
0: Yeah, we have we have mandated foreign languages in schools. I studied Russian and English at school when I was a kid.
2: So you spoke Latvian growing up with your family?
0: Yeah, at home. At home I spoke Latvian. Well, and sometimes Russian too because my my grandma was Russian, one of them was Russian. She was Russian speaking to be exact. She was a a an orthodox orthodox lady very rough and hard she had lived through the war and uh, basically her mom died during the war and so she so she had to start working already at the age of 13 to kind of make sure her the rest of her family could uh, survive and stuff
1: she was in latvia during world war ii she was in latvia
0: yeah 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 because you know we, we've always had a russian minority here but before the soviet era the russian minority were all the old believers we have the like one of the biggest congregations in the planet Earth of old believers, uh, because they were at that point when, when all this kind of uh, orthodox reform happened, as this region was more autonomous than the rest of the Russian Empire, so they moved here. So we have uh, quite a lot of old believers here in Latvia.
1: I don't think a lot of people know what old believers are and what that split is. Would you do just a really brief, like, explanation of what that is?
0: Oh, I made an episode about that at one point, but let's see what I remember. I don't, re- I don't, I don't exactly remember under which czar it was, but it, the idea was that a lot of parishes were following uh, kind of the re- the religious texts of Moscow Patriarchate, but others were following the Constantinople Patriarchate rules and rights. So they kind of unified the rights and made some reforms about how you should do the sign of the cross and what language to to be used in church services and basically formal rules, but there were the old believers are those who who refused these reforms and just wanted to do things the old way, so they kind of moved away because at at that point it was, you know, uh, it it was early imperialist Russia. It's like you you didn't get a lot of tolerance back in those days.
2: The next question I want to ask is like maybe a little more technical. It's the one about latvian taking on like specific phrases or words from russian is that something that happened over like the last hundred years
0: yeah you know we've been in russian empire for so long we have a lot of russian words we have a lot of german words as well but see this is kind of weird because i speak both russian and latvian and english but um we use russian words are mostly used kind of slang like See, so many people here speak Russian that when you want to say something, then you just sometimes can use can use Russian as well.
2: Do you have an example of like Russian slang that you use often? And
0: I'm a, I'm a gamer. We use we use fantasy terms, and uh, like a lot of a lot of games are here here are in Russian, so we use those things, and you know a lot of uh, verbs, for example, are are used there, and then. Uh, and then, obviously, everyone who's swearing, we're using Russian Russian swear words mostly. Because Latvia, Latvian swear words sound kind of silly in, in comparison. <laughs> when you get up from your chair and you hit your little finger on, on your toes, and then you, then you just say, Blah! Because that's the (laughs) thing that you scream aloud that's short and concise, so we we mostly swear in Russian for some reason. I love that,
1: oh my god, that's really funny. But that's a
0: Soviet thing, and also all this, like for example the term tufta, we also say shuba for the salad, everybody knows what that is, kind of small everyday things.
1: So everyone eats that salad?
0: Yeah, we totally eat that salad, we eat Olivier, we eat like all, all sorts of foods. Our, our and Russian foods are very common. For example, like I had pelmeni for for dinner today. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, nice.
2: I just don't know what Latvian sounds like. So, would you mind like reintroducing yourself, but in Latvian, just so the listeners can hear what it sounds like?
0: Oh wow. Uh, <clears throat> Manis sauds Kristaps Andrejs sons es vadu podcast Eastern Border kurais Stast Silvākem. Perpaduim savienībs vāstors un to katra bija zivots man tojot gan Silvāks stašts gan vāstors zivots.
2: Wait, Lily, are you able to understand that at all or not? No,
1: no, no, no. I mean, I just thought I heard a word that was like teach, but I didn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, the thing is, the thing is imagine Latvian and Russian grammars are very similar because we also have the very Two genders, four nouns, all the declinations are practically the same and everything. But our words are like us and Lithuanians, we have this Baltic branch. So our words are different and we do not use Cyrillic. But the grammar and the structure of the language are very similar to Russian.
2: Hmm. Lily, do you have any other questions for language before we move
1: on?
0: Language is fun.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, I guess, well, if you're like in Riga, for example, would more people at this point speak... English or Russian?
0: Definitely, definitely uh, Russian. Definitely Russian. But again, it's kind of it's kind of changing because, for example, a lot of younger people, people who were born in, like, late 90s who are just hitting 18 and are Latvian, a lot of them just completely don't speak Russian anymore. I don't, and I feel that's a shame because, um, frankly speaking, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, one of my favorite books, for example, are, are 12 Chairs or... or uh, or like Golden Cough, or, or also like Bulgakov's Master and Margarita. And I read all of them in Russian, and I simply cannot imagine how could you possibly read in that in any other language. Because in Russian, and as in Latvian, there are a lot of these weird word plays and dual meanings of things. And then, then you know, then, then there are people who again go out of their way and try to reproduce that in, in English. So, you know... You can't have vina imir in in English. It's War and Peace, of course, but you know it can also be shifted around a bit. It's weird. You know? you know the theory that's actually the War in the World? Even though it's it's War and Peace, obviously, because that was the intention. Because back then the spelling was different, but still, weird things happening.
1: Oh, I see. Smith. The word in Russian for peace can also mean world. Mir. Okay. Yeah. So, OK, so a
2: while ago you kind of reference Russian companies and Russians like more recently moving to Latvia. And specifically the example that I have on this document is Medusa, And I'm wondering if is that a trend that you're seeing with other companies coming to Riga? And like, if so, what do you think the reason is for that?
0: Because a lot of us here speak Russian. That's one. And uh, two is then it's kind of weird. We're just close. culturally quite similar so i guess that's why that's why they move here but not all of them do and it gets really really complex often because we have this rule that if you invest certain amount in real estate here then you can get a permanent residency which allows you to travel through schengen zone without a visa whoa so a lot of rich people from russia also just come here because they kind of basically buy their way into Schengen zone and this will sound very weird but due to our recent investigations a lot of so-called corrupt businessmen in Russia yeah they like to use Latvian banks as intermediaries to basically get their monies outside to the offshores. Our bank business kind of really profits on it in a large way.
1: Huh. And the Schengen thing is really cool because like, in case anyone doesn't know, if you're a Russian citizen, you can't just go to Europe. You have to have a visa. You can't really go anywhere.
0: Yeah, but if you invest enough in real estate or companies or whatever, you can get a permanent residency and then you can go to Schengen zone countries easily.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense that that attracts people who have money. Could you tell us about the geography of Latvia? What kind of place to be in nature they're going? Well, uh, we have
0: <laughs> we have forests, and then we have some sea, and then we have swamps too, but it's 59% forest. We have the river Daugava, which is, uh, I, th- I think it's Zapanli Dvina in Russian. It starts in Belarusia, and it's like 200 meters away from that river that flows into the Black Sea. There, there they both meet in the same Altai mountains. So uh, a lot of people like to do very long boating trips as well. It's like St. Petersburg, but a bit warmer. The whole country? I don't know, I guess. So our country is very, very small. Our country isn't the size of West Virginia, okay, for American listeners.
1: But Petersburg is flat and a former swamp. But are there mountains? or?
0: Nope, nope. Like I said, uh, we we have just some hills. It's very hilly and stuff but, uh, and swampy near the sea. But, like, our capital, Riga, is located, uh, next to the sea as well, so... It really is like St. Petersburg, just a bit more warm because everything doesn't freeze up in winter. But mostly there's forests and then there are lakes near the Russian border where I used to live in.
2: You described earlier the wild boars in the city. But I kind of like in America, the West Coast kind of has this stereotype about people like always going hiking and like being really outdoor oriented and like kind of building identities around that. And I'm kind of curious how Latvians interact with nature, like, are you guys hiking a lot? Like, is a lot of time spent outdoors? What is the relationship there? Uh,
0: people like boating a lot. That's my favorite hobby, too. Most most people just, I don't know, uh, go outside and when it's 24th of June, when there's our, like, National yanyi Day that's our national kind of festiv- festivity it's like i like to explain in my show it's a uh, it's a midsummer festival from the Paga- pagan days which is dedicated to drinking beer and eating cheese it's
2: a good holiday yeah
0: oh also sex a lot of lot of sex it's a fertility <laughs> festival too and it's a really it's a pagan festival which has just survived all through the soviet era because you know we have these national folk songs from from since when from the 12th century that was one of the weirdest things that Soviet era did, you know, in, in Khrushchev's time when, you know, all the repressions kind of died down a bit. Previously in Stalinist era, this national celebration, which had survived all throughout history, was completely prohibited. Khrushchev decided that, uh, you can, you know, it's kind of bad to do all sorts of very prohibitive stuff, so he started allowing these things. Except then uh, the Soviet, uh, there were Soviet people who had to invent new folk songs, except this time it's about proletariat, like brave people from Kolhos and stuff like that, which sound really <laughs> silly when you try to turn classical folk songs into something about people living in kolkhoz, which is kind of silly, and they, they turn things around a bit, but that was, that was fun. Also, one thing that Soviets introduced to this celebration is shashliks in the 30s people in latvia didn't didn't eat it as much but now it's kind of a staple of our diets especially in celebration if you're ever if you're ever in riga if you ever decide to go and come and visit riga hey beers on me and i'll take you around town and uh, yeah we can we can hang out
1: thank you we, yeah we were talking about going to the baltic soon so. it's not that far yeah, but Smith is in New York, but she. <laughs> but I can maybe go, but she also wants to go. So yeah, next time she's, to. next time she's in
2: town. I I know you introduced yourself at the beginning, Ops, But do you want to just say like where people can find you on Twitter, where they can find your podcast?
0: Oh, they can find my podcast on theeasternborder.lv, or you know iTunes or whatever you wherever you get good podcasts from, such as this one, which is excellent podcast. Uh, then then also I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm on at Eastern underscore border. If you if you follow, she's in Russia on Twitter. Then you know if you, you you can you can find me through them.
2: That's the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Arena and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Sign up for our monthly image-based newsletter at She'sInRussia.com. If you have questions about Russia or anything vaguely related and you live inside the United States, give us a call at... Plus one, three, four, seven, two, nine, two, seven, one, two, six. Alternatively, if you prefer Skype, we're on Skype at She's in Russia and you can give us a call and leave a voice message. Don't worry. Nobody will pick up
1: and we will see you next week. That's quite a mouthful you got there, sister.
0: It is hard to explain this to to non-comrades, you see. You have to know what's what.